Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today's podcast is based on a conversation I was having with some students before we started class. And they were talking about feeling confused and overwhelmed by not knowing what to eat, what they shouldn't eat because they're pregnant. Some of them are also saying they've heard of intuitive eating and they didn't know how to navigate that through nausea and cravings. So I took my hint from this conversation and I found someone that could really speak to this topic. So Victoria Myers is a dietitian and owner of the virtual private practice and online education center, Nourishing Minds Nutrition. Victoria and her staff specialize in empowering women to ditch diets, regulate hormones and heal digestion and learn to practice wellness without obsession. She's also the host of the popular intuitive eating and wellness podcast, the Nourishing Woman podcast. She is the perfect person to speak about this. And I'm really, really excited for you to hear this conversation. Before we get to that, just a reminder of some of the things we have brewing at the studio. So classes are slowly starting to open up, which is incredibly exciting. I will also say keeps me up at night. It's a little concerning. How am I going to juggle it all? But I think we have it under control. And with that, we're going to slowly start to introduce in-person classes. At the same time, we're going to fully keep our online classes. That's been something that's also been asked about during class. What are we going to do with this amazing community that we've created through our Zoom rooms? It's amazing that we have people from all over, not just this area, but all over the world that are tuning in. And we're showing up there for one another, hearing each other's issues, supporting one another's wonderful experiences and moments of not feeling so great. So we're going to keep that door going. So just keep an eye on our schedule for our online classes, our in-person classes, our hybrid class. You can check all that out at prenatalyogacenter.com. And while you're over there on our website, go ahead and download the five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. I've had people say, well, what do I do between classes? I'm still feeling achy. My back hurts. I got you covered grab that free downloadable and that will be your little cheat sheet between classes. Also, if you are a yoga teacher and you're considering our teacher training, just remember that we know we have the rest of 2021 online, but I don't know what we're going to do about 2022. We haven't got the word from Yoga Alliance if we're going to continue online. I hope we do. So if you're considering taking the training, look at our September, October training or our November, December training. I know that we're going to Washington, D.C. for January, February, and I'm not sure what's going to happen at the spring. So check that out, our 85-hour prenatal yoga teacher training. And for those that don't want a whole training, but want to have the foundation of working with 
pregnant students in an open level class. I got you covered. I have a, a whole course, an online course, Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi? You can check that out at whosafraidthepregnantyogi.com. Okay. Oh, that was a lot of information. So we're going to take a super quick break and we come back. Please enjoy my conversation with Victoria. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, Victoria. How are you? I'm doing good today. Thank you so much, Shepa, for having me on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here. Hey, thanks. Oh, I'm really excited about talking about food and the intuitive eating. It's something that I think a lot of pregnant people, they don't know what to do about what should they eat, what should they not eat, how do they eat intuitively, what if they're nauseous. So I'm really excited that I found you and that you're you're coming on my pod. So let's start with, um. I'd love to learn more about you. How about we go Let's there? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm an open book. What do you want to know about? Um, gosh, I read a lot about you. I listened to your podcast and I also read about you on your website. So let me share a little bit about yourself and what led you to be a registered dietitian. And then I do have some other questions as we go through because I, I read a little bit about your history and you being pregnant and all of that world. So let's just start with a little about you and what led you to become a registered dietitian. Oh, I love this question. I think it's a great place to start because uh, it's my passion. It's, you know, why do the work that I do every day? So for those listening, I'm a registered dietitian, nutritionist. But I actually I feel like I'm kind of an unusual part of that field where I would refer to myself as like a non-diet or anti-diet dietitian. And what that means is I don't put people on diets. I don't prescribe weight loss. I don't recommend pursuing health from a means of only trying to pursue those two things, dieting and weight loss. And that comes from a super personal place. I myself got into the field, honestly, at such a young age. I realized I wanted to be a dietitian at 16, but truthfully, the reason I wanted to become a dietitian was because I felt like I needed to fix myself. So sadly, I felt very disconnected and untrustworthy of my body. I always had a really poor body image relationship growing up. And whenever I was 16, I started to really develop some disordered eating patterns. And lo and behold, I found out that I could honestly do that for a living. And obviously that's not what a lot of people get into the field trying to do, but I did have this mentality or kind of had this, this feeling as if, well, if I can figure out how to fix myself, if I can figure out how to fix myself via making my body smaller and, you know, fixing, perfecting my eating habits, then I can help other people. So it came from a really good place in the sense of I've always known I really wanted to help people and serve others for a living. Yeah. Also came from a place where I was really struggling mentally, physically myself. And I definitely while never had an active eating disorder, uh, and this is true for a lot of people, a lot of people don't necessarily have active eating disorders, but I would definitely fall under the realm of disordered eating. And now that I do this for a living and I specialize in orthorexia, which we can definitely talk, talk mm -hmm. about today, um, 
I, I definitely struggled with that. Like I definitely had orthorexia now that I reflect back on and realize what my patterns were showing up, how I was, you know, engaging with food, with exercise, with my body, all those things considered. So, you know, I went through my schooling, got more obsessed because, you know, once I became a dietitian, I felt like I lo- needed to look and act the part even more so. And it actually wasn't until after my honeymoon, after a year of really restricting and really restrict binge eating, becoming more obsessed with being healthy, trying to look like the quote unquote perfect bride, I kind of have a breakdown after my honeymoon and realized that that this wasn't healthy. There had to be a better way to live my life. And I'm so, so grateful for that breakdown that I had because I quickly after having that breakdown, discovered somewhere on a blog, I wish I could remember which one it was, but I discovered this this concept of intuitive eating. And I spent a couple of years really understanding what that meant for myself, healing my own relationship with food. And then, uh, you know, a few years after I kind of focused on myself first, I started talking about it publicly. I started a blog and an Instagram account and within a year had started my own private practice. And now we've been in business now for, uh, in 2021, we'll be in our going into our fifth year. And that's what we do for a living now. And I am so grateful because the things that I struggled with, I now get to help other people and help them really discover a life that is value-based and meaningful and full of joy because when you struggle with your relationship with food and you feel so disconnected from your body, it takes you away from all those things. And I feel really passionate that women have such power to give the world and we can be so disconnected from that power though because of these things. So it's just like an absolute honor to get to help people, help women, especially learn what that means to get their, their, their power back in their lives. Oh, wow. You said so many things. I'm like, okay, where do we start? So I want to talk <laughs> about disordered eating. I want to talk about orthorexia, intuitive eating. And, and I feel like all of those are so predominant when people are pregnant. They, some people get really obsessive over what they're eating for idea of is, are they eating the right food for their baby? Are they eating the right food to keep their body in a certain image they have? And then how do we eat intuitively when pregnant? So I guess let's start with even if another step back, I was, I was having a conversation with one of my students and she just had a little mini breakdown on Zoom about she doesn't even know what she should be eating. She's hearing so many people say, oh, it's fine. You can have this. And other people saying, oh, no, you shouldn't have this. And then there are certain books and then her care provider saying one thing. She said her mother is saying another. And I think people just get overwhelmed and confused of the should and shouldn'ts during pregnancy. So maybe we can start with some of that and then we can dive into the intuitive eating. Um, and maybe throw in, since you are a registered dietitian, maybe some of the nutritional misconceptions about eating when pregnant caffeine. I just threw a whole bunch at you. So <laughs> I know I'm like, where do I begin? But no, these are such wonderful, valid questions. So I'm definitely glad that you're, you're uh, asking them and just make sure I answer all of them. Yes, um, I will. So with pregnancy, you know, coming from my lens as an intuitive eating educator and non-diet dietitian, I feel like every person, but particularly pregnant women and those around pregnant women are heavily influenced by diet culture. And what I mean by that is I feel like people either go about it one of two ways. They either feel as if they have to be so hypervigilant about what they're eating, making sure they get the right nutrients every single day, eating very specifically, very rigid about how they're consuming food because they're so worried about their health, their baby, what's going to happen to their body. There's usually a deep fear of weight gain when we're being that hypervigilant. 
and or the other opposite side of the spectrum could also be that someone just kind of thinks because they're pregnant, it doesn't matter what they eat and who cares? I'm going to gain weight. So I might as well just kind of go crazy eating all the things for the next nine months because I have quote unquote permission to do so. But in reality, that's still viewing our bodies as like disconnecting from them and not really seeing it as like a powerful you know, nutrition in pregnancy can be a really powerful vehicle to feel good during your pregnancy. Yet also we shouldn't be fearful of weight gain. So if you kind of notice they're kind of two different sides of the spectrum, but Mm -hmm. to me, they're both still influenced by diet culture. So when it comes to nutrition for pregnancy, number one, I just never believe we should be like worried or stressed or anxious about what we eat, how we eat, knowing that our bodies are resilient, especially during pregnancy. Like your, your, your body is going to create a healthy baby no matter what, right? Like as long as you're giving it the basic, basic things it needs, your body knows how to take care of it. Your body knows how to create a baby. So I really don't feel like people, I don't like this idea of being so stressed and anxious about making sure you get in quote unquote, all the right things. And at the same time with that kind of like as the foundation, you know, there's a wonderful opportunity here to eat things that make you feel good, help you feel better in your pregnancy and also help your baby to thrive too. So again, your body is resilient. It can take care of itself. It knows how to create a baby. That's what our bodies are literally created to do. And also nutrition can be a really powerful vehicle for helping us feel our best. I, I think with this idea of like there's things, I'd be curious, Deb, is if you're referring to anything specifically, I'm like wondering, is it people oh, are being sure. told they shouldn't eat carbs or fat? Or is it more like making sure that we don't eat, let's say like deli meat so we don't get listeria, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I was told um, one of my students, and we had a big conversation because I remember this from when I was pregnant many moons ago. She was saying that she would not eat sushi, but then her care provider actually said, well, as long as it's a reputable place. And I remember having the same conversation with my care provider. And he said, like, don't get it from the corner bodega, you know, because that would be suspicious. But like most sushi bars, it's flash frozen. So that's going to kill the bacteria. So there's concern about, can I eat sushi? What kind of milk can I have? Does it have to be pasteurized or can it be raw? So it's more specifics. I don't I don't know how you feel about going into that. Oh yeah, I feel totally confident because I've been pregnant myself and I remember weighing some of these ideas myself because so (laughs) let me start with first like the right dietitian answer for me to say is that you're not supposed to eat any raw food, that you're supposed to eat everything pasteurized, that you shouldn't be eating anything like uh, kombucha, uh, deli meats, uh, soft cheeses aren't even recommended. If we're going to get real though and personal, I think some of it's a little unnecessary. Um, I think with the raw fish and seafood, I definitely think that has some power. I remember whenever I did some research and I was looking into this, the most important thing is uh, things like raw oysters. There's some that have more risk of developing foodborne illness than others. So like as an example, sounds like your doctor is telling you, well, you know, Sushi, as an example, is flash frozen. So that has a lot less risk than comparison to something like some oysters or some different types of um, raw fish and seafood. But again, you have to also weigh like what's going to make you feel comfortable too. I know, I know, I knew plenty of women who never felt comfortable eating raw fish and seafood during their pregnancy. I believe I personally had it a handful of times, but mainly stuck to it cooked because it made my husband more comfortable as well. Mm-hmm. 
And then with pasteurize, I mean, again, I think it, it, it has to do with your, your comfort level. I mean, I think if you have a relationship with a farmer and you know where you're getting it from, that's one thing. But if you don't know this kind of things, I think there's nothing wrong with eating it pasteurized either. And then from the kombucha perspective, if your listeners drink that kind of stuff, I know sometimes it's said not to because not all of it's pasteurized. I definitely drink kombucha during my pregnancy though. What about caffeine? Caffeine. So I am a pretty moderate approach kind of gal. And what I mean by that is, is I don't tell people to completely avoid it. And I also don't think we should be over consuming it either. So I think the technical recommendation is anything less than two to three cups a day. I would personally advise no more than like one cup a day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's really important. I think, and that's even changed over the years. You know, I remember, um, cause I've been doing this for a while. I didn't have my kids for a while, but I've been working with the pregnant body for 20, almost 20 years, and I've seen that recommendation change. So I'm glad. Yay. Go have your caffeine if you'd like it. But are there any specifics? So I know you were saying like, don't get too caught up, but are there certain nutritional misconceptions? Like you have to have a certain amount of protein. I hear, I feel like there's a variation of what I've heard or make sure you're getting folic acid, um, I'm trying to think what are the other ones? Iron. Are there other things that there's misconception about or that people should just be more mindful about? I mean, I think all those things that you just mentioned, folic acid is a huge one for pregnancy. Uh, I mean, I would also advise just please make sure you're taking your prenatal vitamin. Mm -hmm. Um, I also feel like protein can be really important during pregnancy. You are building so much during uh, your pregnancy and building a baby, let alone an organ. So much going on, right? So I think protein is actually really important during pregnancy, and I think it helps people feel better. Um, I feel like if you are feeling a little nutrition depleted, Protein is definitely something to amp up and eat um, more of during pregnancy. I would personally advise for that. Um, but I also would say like omega-3, uh, sorry, real quick, I will say iron kind of goes hand in hand to me with protein, and that is very important during pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, making sure you're eating your iron-rich foods with something with vitamin C. That way it's a little bit more activated and your body's getting it in you know, the most available form. So when I say vitamin C-rich foods, just think mainly like your fruits and vegetables. Um, but yeah, I even would, I would go as far as to say, I think omega-3, fatty acids would be really, really important to have during pregnancy. And again, I think there's a way to do it without it becoming dogmatic or rigid, but, you know, just having fun adding uh, walnuts or chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds to maybe like your oatmeal, your smoothies, your yogurts, and uh, maybe making sure to eat fish and seafood. Now you don't want to overconsume it or eat any that has really high mercury, um, but, you know, eating some salmon, eating, uh, you know, certain types of tuna can be really fine to do. And again, it would be advisable even because you're wanting to get those omega-3 fatty acids in your diet. Good. All right. So we got some of the basics about what to eat, what not to eat, and then some nutrition. So let's dive a little bit deeper into really what seems to be your passion about the intuitive eating. So I guess we should also, before we talk about intuitive eating during pregnancy, can you explain what intuitive eating is? Yeah, I love this question because I think most people here, uh, those of us who promote it, say the word intuitive eating, and it kind of sounds a little almost haphazard, right? Like, what does it mean to eat intuitively or listen to your body or eat whatever you want is kind of the, the, the mentalities a lot of people can have. But it's actually an evidence-based paradigm. It's 
10 principles created by two dietitians. Their names are Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Rice. Thank goodness for them. They actually created this back in the 1990s, believe it or not. And uh, it's had many different iterations and they actually have a fourth edition of the book now. But all of this work that you see as intuitive eating educators and dietitians talk about comes from those two amazing dietitians. So again, it's an evidence-based paradigm. What that means is there's over 120 studies on it. And it's all about using the principles to take care of your health. The best way I could think to describe it is this all about actions of self-care, not self-control. So that means we're promoting health, but we're doing so without doing it from a means of dieting or weight loss as the only means to obtain health. It's really focused on behavior change, again, instead of simply just weight loss as how we create change and create health in our lives. So is it meaning that I just listen to my body and what it wants to eat? I think it's a little bit of yes and no. I always talk about like mind-body knowledge, and it is learning how to listen to your body. So an example of that, something we talk a lot about is interoceptive cues, right? So an example of an interoceptive cue is like the need to be, but also your hunger and fullness are interoceptive cues that your body is giving you. So a lot of us, particularly women, don't listen to our hunger, or we avoid eating until we're absolutely starving. Hungry, you might think of that as hangry. Uh, so it's learning how to tune back into these things, learning what hunger feels like learning what it feels like to feel full. Um, it's also though learning how to integrate rational thought into it. So like planning your eating the day, if you have a busy schedule or, uh, you know, just putting some like real life decision-making into it, you know, knowing that you need to pack a snack with you or thinking about your cravings while also honoring your health. Again, there's principles that you kind of like integrate into your everyday life. I think the biggest thing I would think of when you're thinking of intuitive eating though, is, is really giving yourself the unconditional permission to eat and to eat whatever you desire. Now, I know that can sound really, um, that can sound kind of crazy, right? That a dietitian's telling you, you have permission to eat any and all foods. But when we tell people that they should and should not eat particular foods, it tends to create what we call like the last supper mentality. So people feel like they, you know, aren't going to be allowed to eat it. The diet is coming up tomorrow. So they eat everything in sight. And it really creates a lot of this restricted binge eating that we see here in the seesaw back and forth of going crazy, eating all the things and then going back on another diet. So we ask that people give themselves unconditional permission because what happens is the novelty will wear off and you can actually learn what your body wants. Crazily enough, I know if you've never practiced intuitive eating, this will sound insane. And I once thought it was too, but your body will tell you it wants vegetables. It will tell you also like when a cookie sounds good, like it doesn't have to mean one versus is the other. You can integrate both in your life to have health that is not so one versus the other or black and white thinking. It's really an integration of all those things. I'm just thinking about eat, like how I'd approach intuitive eating. I actually do oddly crave vegetables. It's one of my, I, I love a big bowl of arugula with a little, oh my gosh. I, I love arugula. It's one of yes. my, my husband thinks I'm a wackadoo. <laughs> I put a little um, olive oil, salt, and lemon juice. One of my favorite, favorite things. But, and so I, 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 you know, I love my vegetables, but at the same time, if I just followed my body, it was like, okay, Deb, there's ice cream there go for it. I know that I have to stop myself at some point because I'll actually feel sick, but how does one listen to, like, I'm pretty, I guess, controlled and I have a odd relationship with food. So I'll let myself have some of the ice cream, but I know that I stop myself. Is that my brain stopping me? Is that the intuitive stopping me? Like, how does one still find that balance? Because if I didn't recognize I'd feel sick if I have too much. I could literally see myself just eating the whole pint. Yeah. And I'm over here nodding my head because I once had 
the exact same thoughts, right? Like if I don't tell myself that I'm not allowed to eat a certain amount, I will eat all of it. And in fact, there were times where in my past I did because I was so controlled about how I was quote unquote supposed to eat certain foods. So trust me when I say like, I get that that sounds really, I know, abstract, challenging, hard to do. But the truth is, is when we make things controlled or when we put limitations on it, you know, maybe there's some people that can be, you know, keep up the restriction. But for a lot of people, it's what creates this bad relationship with food and makes them feel as if, you know, they're going to eat it all. Again, I, I keep referencing this because the overeating and binge eating that people become so fearful of is caused from either mental or physical restriction. So there is typically a permission stage where you're giving yourself permission to eat foods. You might feel as if you are eating more than what you quote unquote should, but over time that dissipates again. And what I said was the novelty wears off. There's actually something that we talk about whenever we're educating on this called the habituation response. What that means is your body can become normalized to eating certain foods. So let's use ice cream as an example since you brought that one up. If I you love al- it. <laughs> and I love ice cream too. If you allow yourself to regularly consume ice cream, that doesn't have to even necessarily mean every day, but it could if you wanted it to, it's going to start to feel less appetizing because you're allowed to eat it whenever you want. So what we find is that people can go through that permission stage over time. They don't have to rely so heavily on the mind control, they can recognize how things feel in their body and cut themselves off, so to speak, or choose the amount. What I would rather say is like, choose the amount that feels best in your body based off of that body knowledge that your body's telling you. Now, nothing wrong with using your mind and be like, hey, I know I'm not going to feel well if I eat X amount of this, but it's still coming from a place of self-control, not saying I'm not allowed to self Self-control to me would be, I'm not allowed to eat this much because this is too many calories or I'm going to gain weight if I keep eating this amount. Where self-care is like, I'm not going to feel well if I eat that amount. If I genuinely want that, I have the permission to allow myself to eat however much I want, but I want to feel good right now and this is how I choose it. So again, there are there are principles based off of health, um, especially the, the last ones, but it's also making peace with food and not coming from this place of like, you're only allowed to eat via the diet that you're on. Does that make sense? It- it does. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think it requires a lot of internal conversation. It that does. Absolutely. You have to really, and I, and I say this to my yoga students, which I'm, I'm always wary of the yoga teachers say, Oh, just do what your body wants. Feel, do what feels good. Because if one hasn't stepped back and assessed, what am I feeling? What does my body want? And it's just a catchphrase. Then, then it's, it's hard to listen. It's hard to know okay, I, I've had enough. This is good. Or, oh, this yoga pose feels good. This one doesn't. So I think it just, uh, someone's going to have to really have a very astute ear to their internal person to know when to stop or what feels good. Does that make sense? Where I'm it, going at? it does. And I mean, I think what I could say to add to that is just that it's a journey, not a destination. Intuitive eating is the, it is the actual opposite of every diet out there. So it definitely is going to sound so different. And so, um, you know, really requiring a lot of that mind body knowledge initially, but I will say over time, maybe it sounds like for, if you've been practicing yoga for years, you probably have that awareness built up over right. time, right? So we can happen to with your eating behaviors and it can even extend into all your behaviors. I mean, I even like to use, you know, these intuitive eating philosophies and mantras to how I move my body, how I live my life, how I work, how I show up in the world. So I do think it can extend. It does definitely, I feel like it requires some 
initial upfront work to relearn this stuff. You're basically unlearning years and years of diet culture and diet influence and relearning what I believe is an instinctual capability we're all bored with. I don't believe this would be so challenging if we didn't live in a world that was infused with dieting every single turn you take. Yeah, no, so, I, I agree. I actually yeah, I agree I, with that. I think it would be there, but it definitely, I would 100% agree. I think it does take some initial work to relearn it and be dedicated to learning what it is your body needs while integrating that mind knowledge into it as well. So let's talk about if someone's intuitively eating, they may gain a little weight. And I know for some pregnant people, weight gain during pregnancy is not so easy. Um, I will speak from my own personal experience. Um, how would you help somebody? Say you're working with a client and they're pregnant and they need to make peace with gaining weight during pregnancy. What would be some ways to do that? Mm, such a good question. I'm sure there's so many people listening who can relate to that. So I'm grateful that you're asking this. And I think a positive reframe would be the best place to begin. So when you have a negative thought, this is funny because we were just talking about internal dialogue, but to me, it's, you know, recognizing. So you have this thought of like, I feel uncomfortable that I've gained X amount of pounds. I saw at my doctor's office, or maybe I can feel the difference in my clothes. It's reframing it to something like how grateful am I that my body is growing a a baby growing a belly. Weight gain is necessary in order for me to create a healthy baby. I think things like that and just reframing it to see it in either a neutral light, which would be totally fine. And you can also choose like positivity too would be really supportive because again, weight gain is going to be necessary to create a healthy and happy baby and for your body to feel supported. So I think it's important to have compassion for yourself that you have those feelings, but learn how to challenge them and reframe those thoughts. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to start to dive into something you'd already mentioned, and I hadn't actually known there's a word for it, orthorexia, because I can think that would get mixed up with mindful eating. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, that's what we'll talk about. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Okay, we are back. So I feel like somebody could think, oh, I'm just eating really mindfully, but it's actually crossed that line to orthorexia. And I guess we should actually start with a, a definition of orthorexia, and then we can talk about how that can get confused with mindful eating. 
Yeah. So orthorexia, the most basic, simple definition is the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy. Now, as is true with any eating disorder, we often like refer to it as like a blanket statement as an eating disorder, but it can fall on a spectrum. So I shared earlier in my own personal story, I just had disordered eating. I didn't have an active eating disorder. I do think it's important to clarify that like orthorexia can be just a form of dieting or disordered eating. And also I have definitely seen cases and clients that we were in um, a situation where this was an active eating disorder. And that's where there is some, um, there's conversations in the, you know, the eating disorder world. Should this be its own, you know, terminology? It's not technically in the statistic and diagnostic criteria yet, uh, because it does have a lot of similarities to anorexia or even bulimia. A lot of times there can be purging via exercise or anorexia. There's a lot of restriction with orthorexia. Typically it's more revolved around certain food groups are limiting certain foods, let's say like carbs as an example. Uh, but yeah, so it just an important distinction I think to know is that it does not have to mean that you uh, have an eating disorder. It could even just be you have orthorexic tendencies, you have disordered eating. I think it's extremely prevalent right now because our diet cultural world right now is basically the health and wellness world. Like everything you read about the health and wellness world is telling you eat this, don't eat that, follow this diet plan, do this fast, do this. So I think a lot of that is why we're seeing it so heavily right now. Well, now, with, Can I jump in and ask another quick question course. while we're going through definitions? Um, and then I want to talk about the mindful eating to orthorexia. Is disordered eating the same thing as orthorexia or is that something different? So with any of the eating disorders, they all have a spectrum. So someone could, I mean, you have to have certain criteria from a doctor to be prescribed or sorry, be diagnosed with something like anorexia or bulimia or binge eating disorder. Orthorexia is an interesting mix though, because it's not in the criteria like I shared. And also it can have a lot of similarities. It can have present as, you know, restriction. It can present as purging in other forms. It can present as even binge eating, uh, binging on, you know, really quote unquote healthy foods. Um, so with orthorexia, it can be either. It could be disordered eating or an actual active eating disorder disorder where, okay. where, you know, there's, you know, significant concerns for that person's health. Uh, and that's honestly, I, th- I think another, you know, just kind of talking about eating disorders as a whole, that's true for most eating disorders. It's not as if someone just like wakes up one day and wakes up and has an active eating disorder. A lot of times it starts off as dieting, then goes into disordered eating, and then it starts to become um, some serious, you know, health concerns, mental health, it, you know, challenges that develop into an eating disorder. So there's always a spectrum is the way that we describe it. So then how would someone start to notice that they, they're they moving from just mindful eating to a disordered eating or orthorexia? Yeah. So I think the best distinction that I could provide is that your health habits, so like even let's use the mindful eating that you're sharing about, um, is becoming worrisome that's causing stress, anxiety in your life. Your health habits should always be enhancing your life and adding, you know, help you live your life, right? Like that's why we all care and pursue health. I know for me, health is definitely a value of mine and it's something I enjoy so much, but when it's causing stress and anxiety, I mean, if it's potentially causing panic attacks, if you are so worried and you plan your entire life around your health habits, whether that be your food, your exercise or other wellness habits, that's when we know something is going on and something to reflect on. Mm, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I could see someone thinking, you know, I'm pregnant or I'm breastfeeding 
meditating and I'm really trying to be mindful of what I'm eating. And then I could see that also snowballing. Um, I know that cause I've had students tell me that they're, that they've actually shared their, they're getting concerned about themselves that it's becoming a little obsessive. So, okay. I guess yeah. that's, that's yeah, when and they're. It should- so yeah. another great word to use right there. I love it. So obsessive would be another great word. Uh, something we, we talk about in my, uh, community a lot is this concept of wellness without obsession, which is basically the exact opposite of orthorexia, <laughs> but it stems from having been that person myself. I was obsessive to a fault, right? I like was so hyper vigilant about my health habits, making sure I always ate perfectly, exercised exactly as you're supposed to. I'm sure someone who's listening who might struggle with that. I mean, that's definitely, I think obsessive is a great word to describe it. It takes up all your beautiful time and energy. And um, again, those are that that's when we know this isn't just mindful eating because to me, mindful or intuitive eating, these are things that are again, enhancing your life. It's nothing wrong with being intentional and thoughtful about what you're putting into your body and how you're engaging with your food is something I love about the mindful eating uh, philosophies. You know, it's about like really thinking, being intentional, being present with our food and really being in the experience of eating, which is a wonderful thing. But that's so different than being obsessive, being rigid, dogmatic, stressed, anxious, worried. Like those are very different things. So if someone is recognizing this, I'm hoping that those listen to the podcast, this is helping, they might, be, they might recognize themselves. And, that's, and that might be painful in itself to recognize like, ooh, I fall into some of these categories. Would their steps be maybe a two-step situation of one working? with someone like yourself along with a therapist or a a registered dietitian might be enough, especially if it's starting to get into disordered eating, where, where might they seek help? Oh, I love this. I would always advocate for both. I think having a non-diet dietitian who specializes in orthorexia and also working with a therapist, because as is true with any mental health challenge or is true with any disordered eating or eating disorder, you know, the spectrum that we've been sharing about today, there's always something deeper at play here, right? So a lot of times what we see with uh, disordered eating, particularly the orthorexia component of it is there's like this perfectionism and people pleasing right? And this need to please and be perfect for others' approval. And I think that is something that's so deeply rooted into us as women. However, it can also be really true to your past and to your life experiences and your history. So I think talking with a therapist about that is so important. I feel like my clients who do both simultaneously working with a non-diet dietitian that specializes in helping you get out of that while also working with a therapist to learn about the traumas and past life experiences that have led you to where you're at can be so therapeutic and beneficial. So say you have a new client and they've shared with you that they have a history of disordered eating. How would you approach that with them to eat intuitively during pregnancy? Just knowing that they may get triggered by seeing their body change or I don't know what else. I mean, that's the main one that comes to my mind or um, feeling full quicker because the belly's being pushed up, but they come with a history. Yeah, I think that's a complicated but such an important question to ask, but I think it would just be so individualized is the the thought that comes to mind for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. it depends. Maybe that person could need a meal plan. Uh, I I know a lot of people 
find that interesting, but a lot of us uh, intuitive eating educators do use meal plans to help make sure someone's eating adequate amounts to then get to the point where they can practice and just, you know, eat quote unquote intuitively. So I think that's something that comes to mind. I think it could just be, you know, finding that, that gray area between like making sure you are eating nourishing things that's helping your body thrive during this pregnancy and also giving yourself that permission to eat things. You know, it's okay to not eat perfectly during this time. And I would argue at any time in your life, it's okay to do so. Um, and then also, you know, working through the body image challenges. I think even just having someone that you can talk to about this and help talk through it. So often we bottle up our emotions and kind of see them as not uh, worthy of being worked through or, you know, something that everyone struggles with. So it doesn't matter. You know, it's fine. Kind of brush it under the rug. But I think there's such value in talking things out. So I think that's also something that comes to mind with body image, especially is, you know, why do you feel this way? Why do we feel as if weight gain during pregnancy? pregnancy is a negative thing. Let's talk through that. Let's, you know, dismantle why that, why we have that experience and help to reframe those thoughts. Mm, oh, that's good. I like that. So you, you'd mentioned that you struggled a bit in your own, with your own personal um, eating habits. And I'm wondering when you were pregnant, do you mind sharing some of your own, like, how did you work through your struggles? And I don't know, how did weight gain feel to you? How did you, was it hard to embrace that? Was it easy? Oh my goodness. So I, I really want to be careful about what I say because I would never want someone to feel like their situation is, you know, it makes them feel bad that what I'm about to say. But what I can say is that I did not have any of those struggles. And I think that's because I spent so many years previously working through this Mm -hmm. and working to develop a healthy relationship with food and with my body so that when I became pregnant, I... I really was celebrating the fact that my body was changing. And I really felt that doesn't mean I never had a negative body image day, but I never let it derail how I felt about the fact that I was growing a baby and never derailed me in making sure I was eating adequately and eating nourishing things and giving myself that permission and moving my body in a way that felt joy filled. So I feel as if I had maybe a unique situation because I had done such a, so much of that work previously, but definitely just want to share, like, it's totally okay if you're not having that experience, but still a worthwhile time. Like even if you're pregnant, like such a good time to work through this because now is just a beautiful time. And I think I'm especially not even just for the pregnancy, but for the postpartum. The postpartum experience to me is where things t- definitely get funky. Your body's now you're kind of dealing with the um, the aftermath of the pregnancy, right? And everything that happens after birth. And I think that's the time where I could definitely see it being easy to feel disconnected and I you know not not feeling comfortable in your body. Mm-hmm. And I felt so, so grateful to have gone through these experiences that I didn't have to. Now, I'm sure every pregnancy will be different. Who knows what will happen the next time I do get pregnant. I do hope to in the next year or two have another uh, blessing of being able to be pregnant again. And, you know, I can't say for sure what will happen, but what I can say is that I hope, you know, I just take it day by day and that I try to reframe it and see it in a positive light and also just know that like, your body is doing what it needs to. As I shared earlier, your body is resilient. Your body is growing a beautiful baby. And that's something we should be so grateful for. What if someone's trying to eat intuitively, but they're nauseous and then they're just trying to keep anything down or they're just eating a bunch of saltines and that can make them feel even more bloated. Is there any, um, cause that's not so, that's not, not uncommon. How do you, how oh, yeah. do you support someone that is just, they want in their mind, they're like, I really want to eat intuitively, but I just feel like crap. 
Well, like I shared earlier, this is so much vastly more than just, you know, eat intuitively. So what I mean by that is that mind integration is just as valuable as the body integration. So your body's telling you that you're nauseous. Your mind knowledge would be, you know, making sure that you can just eat what you can, um, getting down things that are going to help with the nausea. I just think that would be so unfair to be putting that on yourself of like, I had to figure out intuitive eating and I have to, you know, eat whatever I want right now. I mean, with when you're nauseous or when you're having like that uncomfortable of a situation happen, I was so nauseous my first trimester and I lived off of, let me see if I can remember. I, I ate a bunch of fruit, um, frozen foods, a lemonade was my jam, ginger. <laughs> uh, so I just did the best that I could. I definitely remember I, I was intentional to eat nutritious foods during my pregnancy and honor my health in that way. But I definitely feel like my eating did not look so perfect as like maybe sometimes we're, we're told it should look during our pregnancy. I, I definitely felt like carbs were something that, uh, often gets villainized, but something I ate a lot of in my pregnancy and one of the few foods I could get down when I was particularly nauseous in my first trimester. So I was, I was always especially grateful for carbohydrates and, um, you know, just again, try to view this as well, at least I can get these down. And again, mm-hmm. fruit, fruit was especially helpful too. That's interesting. All right, we're going to take a really quick break and we come back. If you can offer one piece of advice or a tip for a new or expectant parents, we'll be right back. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Okay, we are back. So from all of your knowledge working with pregnant people um, and yourself being pregnant, or maybe even as a new parent, what is one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer? Mm. What comes to mind right now is just taking everything day by day and not getting wrapped up in my head of future tripping, which is something I still struggle with to this day. But I think when you're struggling with your pregnancy, knowing it's going to be nine months or afterwards, like how long is this postpartum going to last for? It's just so easy to get uh, wrapped up in your head of like, is this never going to end? Is my baby never going to stop crying during this witching hour? Stuff like that is what comes to mind. And if I could go back and just remind myself, like, it's just the season. It will pass. Everything does get better. You just got to be patient and just be in the present moment. I feel like that would have been so helpful. And again, as you can hear, I kind of, I hope next time I'm a little bit uh, kinder to myself on that particular phase, because I definitely feel like I got uh, really worried that things would never, you know, that things would <laughs> never get better. The nausea would never get better. That would never have, I felt so like I had such little energy during my pregnancy and I'm a pretty go-getter. And I, I remember feeling so concerned that I was so low in energy. Now I look back, I'm like, oh, you were pregnant. Of course you didn't. Like uh, things change. It's okay. So just being a little kinder to yourself and taking it day by day. Yeah. I like that take, being kinder to yourself because we can be really hard on ourselves. Like you should get up. You should do this. You, you always did this. Why aren't you doing this? So that is, that exactly. is great. <laughs> Where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me in a few different places. So one of my favorite places is the Nourishing Women podcast. We host episodes two a week on Tuesdays and Fridays, and we air things 
all along the spectrum of wellness without obsession, which is our philosophy. So we talk about intuitive eating, body image. We talk a lot about hormones uh, a lot, and we talk about digestion even as well. And then uh, Victoria Myers blog is another place you can find me. And then we have two Instagram accounts, which is at Victoria Myers underscore and then at Nourishing Minds Nutrition. Wonderful. I will make sure all of that will be in the show notes. I want to thank you for coming on. I was really interested in learning more about the intuitive eating and, and the pregnant mind focusing around that and how pregnant students can really uh, live within their pregnancy and feel good about the choices that they're making. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the amazing work that you do to help your people. Thanks. All right. Be well. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.